Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by listeners like you, who believe in the vital public service WRFA provides through its arts and education programming, as well as through our coverage of local news and public affairs. Plus, your generous support lets us provide a number of volunteer-based programs to be shared on our airwaves. Help keep community radio in Jamestown and Chautauqua County alive by making a contribution today. To make a tax-deductible donation or learn more about becoming a station underwriter, use the donate page on our website, wrfalp.com, or send a check to WRFA Radio, 116 East 3rd Street, Jamestown, New York. Or you can call 716-664-2465. Now to the keynote presentation of today's meeting. Uh, I just first want to say throughout uh, the, the few weeks here since we announced the program for today's meeting, I've had a number of folks say, how did you get the state comptroller to come to your annual meeting? And I said, well, it actually starts at a impromptu lunch meeting back in the spring when we were at an event that our regional representative for the comptroller, Tom Carpenter, was also at and asked if we could get together to catch up on what the chamber had going on, what the comptroller's office was doing. And the idea started there uh, as, you know, the comptroller would be a very good and relevant speaker for the business community if he's in the area and we could get the schedules to work. And here we are today. So thank you, Tom, for your help and uh, constant work. So to introduce Comptroller Dinopoli, Comptroller Thomas P. Dinopoli is the 54th Comptroller of the State of New York, elected first in 1972 as a trustee of the Mineola Board of Education, the first 18-year-old in New York State to hold public office. He earned a bachelor's degree from Hofstra University and a master's from the New School University's Graduate School of Management and Urban Professions. He was elected to the New York State Assembly in 1986, representing Nassau County. In 2007, by a bipartisan majority of the state legislature, was elected to New York State Comptroller. He has subsequently been elected to the post by the voters in 2010, 14, 18, and 2022. The state comptroller works to fight waste, fraud, and abuse in government, and investigations by his office have resulted in hundreds of arrests and tens of millions in restitution paid. He also manages the state's pension fund and works for financial accountability at all levels of government. Tom Dinopoli is known for fact-driven analysis of economic policy and fiscal issues. He closely tracked job loss, economic recovery, and pandemic relief programs throughout the COVID pandemic and his audits have identified tens of billions in waste and cost savings for state agencies, public authorities, and local governments while offering recommendations for improvements to their operations. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome State Comptroller Tom Monopoly. Thank you, Dan, so much. Let's give it up again for Dan and the Chamber staff for doing a great job bringing us together. A very kind introduction. I always get a kick when folks remind people of my footnote in history being the first 18-year-old elected to anything in the state. But I don't like when they say what year it was, as Dan did. So, Because then nobody listens to anything else that's being said. They all start saying, that means he's how old? And, so hopefully you said he looks okay. So I am delighted to be here at your annual meeting and Sandra Lewis's birthday party celebration. This is great. Happy birthday. I didn't bring a gift. I apologize. 
Uh, I want to commend the sponsors for uh, supporting this event and for this great turnout. I'm glad Dan mentioned Tom Carpenter, uh, our regional representative uh, for this part of the state. He works very hard, and certainly I'll, I'm going to touch on a lot of different things, but any, anything you might want more information about, feel free to wave Tom so they know who you are. Just yeah, There he goes. Uh, feel free to get Tom's card, and he'd be happy to follow up with you. Uh, Dan, just so you know, Tom uh, said to me, uh, the annual meeting's coming up uh, in December in Chautauqua, and it's going to be sunny and 50 degrees. There's no reason not to be there. And I didn't believe him. <laughs> Turns out I should have believed him, right? There are uh, so many uh, colleagues in government who are here. I know the local officials have been acknowledged. Thank you for your service. I also want to uh, congratulate Kim Eklund, the new incoming uh, mayor-elect of Jamestown. Give her a round of applause. Congratulations. And uh, I know we have our county exec, P.J. Wendells, here. Thank you for your great service. Our former county exec, uh, Greg Edwards, I saw earlier. Uh, your other former county exec, George Barella, who's got another job, I'm told, uh, <laughs> as, your, as your state senator. And uh, I really do appreciate the public service of all the officials here. And I, I just want to do a special mention for Senator Burrell. I got to know him when he was the county exec. And um, when I uh, was here in Chautauqua County, he was just very welcoming. We talked about a lot of uh, issues. And uh, then he moved on to the state senate. And I, you know, I spent uh, two decades in the state assembly. Um, the people's house. I don't know what we call the state senate. But, you know what I feel about the assembly. <laughs> But I certainly have a chance to watch George in action, and I must tell you, he, he is a very hardworking member of the legislature. He uh, is willing to work across the aisle, which is something that doesn't happen uh, often enough these days. I've appreciated very personally, uh, he pays attention to the stuff that we do in the controller's office. Uh, he uh, was very supportive, in fact, was part of why we did uh, an order. He was key leader on the Agriculture Committee in the State Senate, and we had some recommendations that came out of one of our audits on how the Nourish New York program could be run better and picked up on some of what uh, Senator Borello had been talking about. There's been a lot of issues over the years in terms of accountability and oversight, which is what my office is all about, where our powers were taken away, diminished uh, under the prior administration, which really compromised our ability to look out for the taxpayer interest. And Senator Borello has been one of the leading voices to say the controller's oversight authority must be protected and maintained. So, George, I just want you to know I appreciate you for your hard work and all of your efforts, and he does a great job for you in the state senate. Give him a round of applause, please. And I, I certainly want to make clear, because uh, I, I think some of the local press is here, I recognize I am a downstate Democrat. If anything I just said nice about him will hurt him in any way. <laughs> I deny I even know him. I've never met him, and he's no good. <laughs> you know, I really uh, always feel a burden when I'm invited to be a, a keynote speaker or anything, because, you know, especially with an audience like this, the keynote um, really is the work that each and every one of you put into your business, your nonprofit, your, your, uh, your, your government work, you, you know, chambers are more than just representatives of the voice of the business community, as important as that is, especially for our small businesses. But to me, the chambers, uh, and when I was a local official, I, I was uh, active in, in my local chamber in Great Neck on Long Island, the chambers really are conveners of all the important stakeholders. 
and, and certainly our nonprofits who are represented here. Many of the business people serve on boards of nonprofits. We are a big part of the employment picture, not only here in Chautauqua County, but a, across the state. And so important that business and nonprofits work together uh, with government. And that's really what the chamber effort is all about. So I really you know, want to commend each and every one of you, because your efforts really are the keynote. I may give you a little bit of interesting information, but you're the keynoters. And uh, how beautiful to hear uh, the recognition for Bishop Clark. Uh, and I really want to say, I was so impressed by your comments, by your humility, your faith, your commitment to making this county a more caring and inclusive community. And uh, we should bottle up your, your, your wonderful attitude because you know we need more positivity out there these days. So give Bishop Clark another round of applause for everything he's done. So I think the last time I was together with uh, many of the folks in the room, it was actually uh, in a virtual uh, meeting during the pandemic in one of the weekly business calls. So it's really nice to be back here uh, in person. Uh, I don't get to Chautauqua County enough. Um, it's not around the corner from Long Island, but I am happy to be here whenever I can because I do think it really is a such a beautiful part of the state. Uh, the natural resources are, are very evident. You have world-class cultural institutions. Yes, I have been to the National Comedy Center, and everybody mentions Lucille Ball whenever they mention this part of the state. And I did have the chance to visit, uh, was it two years ago, Tom? We went to Chautauqua Institution, yeah. which was the first time I had been there. It really was incredible. So uh, not to mention the wine and, and, and craft beverage trails that you have here. You know, go down the long list of uh, the great assets you have uh, in this part of the state. So it is a wonderful place to live and to work and to raise a family. And obviously you have great anchors with our uh, educational institutions, certainly our, uh, our, our, our colleges here. I know Dr. Collison is here from uh, SUNY Fredonia. Uh, he's had a quiet week, so it's nice he had the time to be here. And Dr. DeMart is here, Jamestown Community College. Tells me enrollment is up. That's a good thing. We need that. So give our, our two college presidents a round of applause also for being here. So I thought what I'd do is just give you some, you know, in the control us we're always collecting data, reports, analysis. Let me just give you some update from where we see the state right now, a little bit about what's happening regionally, talk about some of the other work that we're involved in that might be of interest to you. You know, I think it's fair to say that we're, we're certainly at a time now where the impact of COVID-19 is more in the rearview mirror, uh, which is good. It's not gone totally. I'm, in our shop, we've had a number of people the past couple of weeks who've gotten sick, not ending up in the hospital or dying like we had at the beginning of that terrible pandemic. But, um, you know, we are still in a recovery mode. And I would say when people ask me, how's the state doing? We're doing okay. Are we doing great? No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, but when you consider how low everything uh, had been, uh, you know, some three years or so ago, we certainly see more positive than negative, and I think that's an important context to, to keep in mind. So, uh, in, in terms of the state, the unemployment rate now is down to 4.2 percent. People are still uh, being hired. Your jobs are being created. We're we're pretty much back to, a little bit below, but pretty much back to 
the level of job recovery uh, that we were hoping to be at. You know, COVID really hit us hard. We lost some 2 million jobs across the state. And we're pretty much back to where we were uh, pre-COVID. Every region has a little bit of a variance, but, but most all the numbers are really good, including here in this county. It was interesting because COVID hit New York City so hard so early, and New York City is still, you know, the economic engine for the state, uh, not the only economic engine, but obviously the key one. The city took a long time to recover for lots of different reasons. The city now is actually back stronger than many of the other uh, regions across the state. So that's, that's part of the strength that we're seeing now as far as the jobs picture. Certain sectors have fully recovered, uh, financial uh, services, educational services, professional services, health care, social assistance. Those are the areas where we've seen a particular strength in job recovery. Here in Chautauqua County, the unemployment rate uh, last year, 2022, was 3.9%, a little better than the state rate last year was 4.3%. 4, 4 I mentioned the state now is about a 4.2% unemployment. Chautauqua, as of October, 3.7%. So you're doing a little better than the state in terms of the un unemployment rate. Looking at jobs data, uh, last year uh, about 800 jobs were added in the county. The highest employment gains seem to be in accommodations and food uh, services industry, hospitality with 280 jobs. Manufacturing, which really had struggled in the, in the years pre-pandemic, added about uh, 200 jobs. So the numbers that I saw, the employment picture in October of 2023, you're at a point now where you're, you're back to the pre-pandemic levels, and that's very, very good news. Um, as I said, manufacturing, uh, you know, had been a challenging area. Em employment generally uh, had been going down uh, in, in the decade or two before the pandemic. So at least now it seems to have leveled off, and in fact, it's starting to, to grow again, and that's good news. Interestingly enough, government is the largest employment sector for the county, about 20% of the jobs. And, and during the pandemic, local government school districts, you did see uh, a number of positions downsized there. So, you know, in terms of public education, we haven't seen 100% recovery, but um, as, as hopefully more jobs will be added there, uh, particularly at the, at the local level, hopefully we'll see some, some uh, increased improvement there. Total wages for the county increased 6.2% from 2021 to 2022. A total uh, wage in this county, $130 million. So sometimes you don't realize the aggregate numbers are pretty significant. Average annual wages increased by 4.4% in that time frame. We've seen the largest annual wage growth in the wholesale trade industry with an annual wage growth of 7.9%, 7 7.5% uh, 7 growth in the utilities industry. So. Just a few little facts to keep in mind as you consider uh, the economic uh, situation. Why do we look at, at uh, issues like employment? Well, for the obvious reason, the strength of the economy, the job creation and people working and paying taxes has a lot to do with the revenue base then that the state will have as the state legislature, the governor make decisions about budget and spending. So we, we look at other indicators. We look at sales tax. Uh, sales tax revenue is the second most important revenue source for the state after the personal income tax. For our local governments, especially our, our counties, as the county exec well knows, uh, sales tax revenue for most of our counties is the most important revenue source. So we track that very carefully, and, and many of the counties in our state share uh, some of those sales tax collections with other local governments within the jurisdiction as well. So statewide sales tax collections were up to 2.5% uh, 
uh, in October compared to the same period last year, uh, the fourth consecutive month of increases between 2 and 4 percent. So um, people are spending money, right? So there's a concern about, you know, the economy is very uncertain, and it is. Uh, we're not sure where things are headed. We see that inflation, while it's moderating somewhat, is still higher than we'd like it to be. Interest rates are still high. You all know if you've been trying to get a mortgage, you know, what those numbers are at. But, but you know, as I said earlier, hiring seems to be happening. People are, are spending money. And so that's, I think, uh, good news, but my, we have to be mindful of the, the, the uncertainty of where we're headed. And certainly for our, our friends in local government, and I'll, I'll get to talk about the state in a moment, I think it means we should be positive about where we're headed, but be cautious. Be cautious, because it could easily go back uh, in a negative way, not that we want to see that, right? Because the economists have been projecting a recession for about two years now. The economists are as reliable as the folks who forecast the weather. No offense if there's a weather person in the, in the room. But so far it hasn't happened, and I, and I hope it doesn't, right? And, and the most recent projections are if there will be a recession, it'll be sometime next year, it'll be short and shallow. But what we will see, there are so many things happening across the country, across the globe, as we know, uh, many things not very good that can have uh, quite, quite a negative impact. Here in Chautauqua County, local sales tax collections looking uh, 2022 over the prior year were up 2.9%, not as strong as the statewide numbers in 2022, which were over 6%. But when we look at, at this year, here in this county, local sales tax revenues grew by 8.4% in the first quarter, 2.1% uh, in the second quarter, 5 0.4% in the third quarter. So averaging out so far year-to-date about about uh, 5%. So um, actually in some of the two of those three quarters stronger than the statewide number. So that's good news for you here locally. Well, we look at we look at tax revenue. Certainly, I, I just mentioned sales tax. We look at, at jobs and what's happening there. We obviously look at population as well. And in the context of of taxpayers particularly. And we just put out a report on taxpayer migration, which is certainly looking at population patterns, and particularly for those who are taxpayers, what does that mean for New York State? So looking here uh, at your county o over the course of um, the years from 2000 to 2022, you had a population decrease of about 9.8%, at the same time that the state grew about 3.7%. In more recent uh, time, 2020 to 2022, Chautauqua County's population decreased by 1.3%. New York State population decreased by 2.4%. So actually, more recent times, doing a little better than the state in terms of those numbers. So why do we look at this, particularly for the state? As I mentioned, personal income tax is our biggest revenue source. So we've been trying to chart uh, carefully what's going on with folks uh, leaving the state and folks coming in. You know, there's the critics always say everybody's leaving New York because it costs too much. Well, some folks are actually coming in as well. So there's a churn uh, in terms of taxpayer uh, behavior that we look at carefully. So we've, we looked at the impact of the pandemic uh, in, in very recent history, and probably no surprise, the pandemic caused a significant shift in taxpayer movement. We had a net out-migration that really quadrupled in, in 2020 compared to the prior year. So we, we have been losing taxpayers, I mean, not a huge number, but we don't want to lose any taxpayers, especially those at the upper income level. But we, we really saw a, a significant increase in taxpayers leaving the state during the, uh, during the height of the pandemic. The good news is, with the more recent data we have, 
uh, looking at 2021 numbers, is that we, we see the reverse happening now. We see that we are back to the trend of, of pre-pandemic. So, so yes, a net out-migration, and yes, a bit higher, about 30% higher than the pre-pandemic average. But, you know, it's not, there was some concern that the folks that, particularly downstate in the city, because of the density of the population that were leaving because of COVID, uh, that they were never going to come back. And that doesn't actually seem uh, to be the case. But there should be no mistake about it. We still have a, a net decrease. And it's interesting when you look at the numbers, the, the two biggest categories where we're losing folks are, are uh, married couples in the 100000 to $500,000 range, so upper middle class, and, and those 50000 or less. Uh, that find the affordability issue, not just the tax issue so much for folks at the lower end, but uh, the high cost, the prices, buying food, housing, and so on. So, you know, we just put this report out this week. Uh, we're going to look at it carefully because, you know, particularly in the Senate and I were talking about it, when we look at the state budget, uh, a, a decrease in terms of, of people who are carrying the freight, paying the bills as far as the, uh, the state income tax, uh, the, the fact that we have a vulnerability there is something we have to be mindful of. It is, as I said a moment ago, it is not the stampede out the door that, that some of the critics say. But, but we cannot be unmindful of the fact that we are losing folks. And we are losing folks that are in a position to pay. And we're also seeing changes in numbers in terms of, of uh, non-resident filers. So people who s may have decamped outside of New York still make some money in New York. The concern is, will those folks just totally take all of their uh, activity outside of the state? You know, the other strange dynamic, looking at the city where, where they had a significant drop in population taxpayers, a fair number of those folks actually ended up going to Long Island or the Hudson Valley. So for the state, we didn't lose that revenue. For the city, they did, because New York City has an income tax. There's some question about how many of them are returning to the city. Some of them clearly are. So. I don't want to throw too many more numbers at you, but what it, what it means is that we still have a lot of work to do. Certainly locally, you need to build on your strengths, you need to collaborate, you need to work together uh, to make sure that this more positive trend that we see in Chautauqua County, in fact, is something you can build on. The Chamber is going to play a very, very key role in that. And certainly the, the whole question of investment, right, uh, you know, access to capital is always a big issue uh, out there, again, especially given the high interest rates. But the other area of investment is what the state is doing. And certainly in this year, you saw the state, the legislature and the governor came up with a spending plan that made significant investments in a host of areas. Healthcare, mental health, which is a big area that we haven't done a good enough job in. Infrastructure, childcare, biggest bet ever on childcare that we've done in the state. Education, fully funding foundation, foundation aid for pre-K through 12. Uh, economic development, higher ed, energy, the environment. I was pleased in this year's budget, and I know something the senator has advocated for as well in terms of fiscal responsibility, uh, building up the state's rainy day reserve funds. Uh, have the money aside should we ever have another calamity like we had uh, with, the, with the downturn impacted by COVID, that we have money in reserve to keep programs going. We actually have about $19.5 billion now in our reserve, various reserve funds, highest than we've had for many, many years, and that's good news. The challenging news is this, though. Prior to the state budget being completed, what was it the beginning of May, I guess, it was a little late this, this, this year, our tax revenue, because of the rebound from COVID, was coming in higher than projected month after month after month. 
So the budget that was put together this year is the highest budget in the state's history. And now when you factor uh, the, the updates, about $228 billion. Shortly after the budget was put, um, put in place, we saw the opposite trend happening, tax revenue coming in below projections. And because uh, we, we report on a monthly basis from the controller's office, uh, we call it our, ad, our monthly cash report. We look at, at revenues and, and, and expenditures on a month-to-month -month basis. And we just saw that the, the trend uh, turned very different. Why? Well, New York State, we're like the only state in the country that has a fiscal year that starts April 1st. Why we have a fiscal year that starts April 1st when you have to make decisions about spending, when taxes are due April 15th, Makes no sense. You don't really know the hard numbers. Maybe if we knew the April 15th numbers at the time of doing the budget, it might have been handled a little differently. When the numbers started coming in, particularly because Wall Street didn't have a good year, and not that we depend solely on Wall Street, we certainly don't, but uh, the bonuses were down, the profits were down. Wall Street coming out of pandemic, you know, had you know record record high numbers, uh, near record high numbers. Now they're back to where they were pre-pandemic, but we were getting used to those outsized tax revenues coming out of Wall Street. So very quickly, what uh, we found is that instead of being in a position where we were projecting continued budget balance, we were back to the division of budget projecting out-year budget gaps over the next three years, totaling some uh, uh, over $30 billion, $36 billion. So again, because Nothing is stagnant, right? There's always changes. You know, where are we at right now? Well, the budget projections have been lowered. So with the updated lower projections, we're actually coming in a little ahead of where we thought we would be. But folks have to recognize that, that the expectations in terms of how we close out this year are much lower than they were when the budget was put together. We anticipated revenues would be lower this year than last year. They're coming in lower than first projected. The out-year budget gaps actually at this point, based on the current revenue trends, have been reduced somewhat. So instead of looking at cumulative uh, deficits of 36 billion, now we're looking uh, more at around 21 billion. Next year, the gap had been about nine billion, over 9 billion, now it's about 4.3 billion. So, what we have to do between now and, and the end of the fiscal year coming up March 31st is look carefully. What are the numbers going to be? So, you know, the Senate, the Assembly, uh, the Controls Office, we just put out our initial projections as part of what's called the quick start budget process. Come January, the governor will unveil uh, the executive budget proposal. The legislature and the governor will come up with a consensus on revenue. And then the senator and your, your, uh, your assembly member uh, will spend the time working with the governor to put a budget in place. What I have said, what controllers always say, but we're saying it a little more loudly now, is that we have to be mindful of the fact that it's a different budget picture and revenue picture uh, than we had a year ago. And that while there's a fair amount of uncertainty, to me, that should suggest caution. Does it mean we don't do those important investments I, I mentioned before? I don't think anybody would quibble that education and healthcare and mental health, these childcare, these are all important investments. Government needs to do it to help the local economies do better. But we we cannot we cannot spend money that we don't have. And the tendency when we do, when we want to spend money we don't have, because nobody likes to go home to their districts. I was in the legislature for twenty years. You don't go home and, and brag about how much you cut. You know, right? Uh, 
people want to know, what did you get for the, my senior center? What did you get for my school district? What did you get for economic development? And so sometimes the tendency is, particularly when a budget is being put together, you got to get the budget done. And New York has a mixed history on timeliness with budgets, right? Uh, and, and you tend to think very short term, how do we get the budget done? You know, or at the end of session, right? How do I close out? What bills do I have to get done? Instead of thinking, what are the implications on my decisions today for next year, for two years, for three years out? And that's really, you know, for me, it was a different orientation, being controller, where instead of looking short term and looking what's good for my little community, had to instead say, for the state, looking not just for today, but for tomorrow and beyond, what are we doing to make sure that we're going to have the, the money to spend on the programs that people care about. And the other tendency is if we don't seem to have enough money, well, let's just raise taxes. Well, we're already you know, the, one of the most taxed states in, in the country. And even on the surcharge that was put in on higher income New Yorkers, who no doubt could afford it, you do reach a tipping point. And given technology today, a lot of folks don't have to be in New York to conduct their affairs. So that's why tracking that taxpayer migration uh, responsibility of ours, I think, is a very, very key one. So if you don't want to cut programs and you don't want to raise taxes, what's the third thing that we do in New York? We borrow. So we're, depending on how you measure it, either the first or the second most indebted state in the nation. That's not good either long term. And uh, I, as control, have always warned about debt. We have debt reform proposals to try to rein it in. You put everybody to sleep when you talk about debt reform. It's been a hard issue to get anybody to focus on. So I'm just letting you know your Senate is going to have a tough task going into next year. Uh, so have reasonable expectations about what he's going to be able to deliver. And I, no, I say that seriously. Folks have gotten very used to the fact in recent years we've had all this federal monies come in. We had a big bounce back as we came out of COVID. It's a different moment right now. Could it all get a lot better? I hope so. Could it get worse? I certainly hope not. But we're going to continue to just sound the, the, the alarm about not just where we're at today, but what are we doing that's going to impact two years, four years down the road? Because we want our spending and our programs to be sustainable long term. We're tracking the federal money. It's on our website. We're doing a tracker now on the money coming in uh, to deal with uh, and, and how much money is going out, spending on the migrant asylum seeker issue, which is a whole other expense category that hadn't been anticipated. So a lot going on there. Let me quickly touch on a couple of other things, and I appreciate your, your being a very attentive audience. Thank you. Um, one of my important responsibilities is being trustee of the state pension fund. So one or two of you probably are connected to the state pension fund in some way. And you're all taxpayers, so you need to be concerned about that. You know, the good news is New York has a, a history of, of managing the pension fund well, predated my tenure. Uh, the pension fund is about $250 billion, third largest in the country. Uh, we have 1.2 million New Yorkers who are part of the pension system. So uh, state workers, wherever they live in the state, local government workers outside of New York City, School district employees, uh, separate from the teachers, they have their own pension system. A lot of folks in this community, mentioned earlier that government is a big part of the employment sector, care about what we're doing. Um, we've been in good shape. We're over 90% funded for a public pension plan. That's a, a very good uh, funded status. How much money do you have to pay your liabilities? But last year we did have a slight negative because the markets were, were very challenging last year. You know, this year so far has been mixed. We had a positive quarter at the end of 
uh, June, we had a, a slight negative at the end of September. So far, it's been pretty good, the markets. I hope it holds up between now and December. The key date for me, though, is March 31st. That's when we value the fund. And that valuation on that one day is the number that goes into our financials. So I'll give you advance notice. When we're in that last week of March, you better go to church or synagogue or mosque, wherever you go. <laughs> Bishop, do an extra prayer there with your colleagues. We need a good number uh, that month because it's, it's very important we get back on track to a, a, uh, a positive positive trend. But I'm confident we can because we have a diversified portfolio. We're not dependent on the stock market. We have other investments as well. And I do want to mention we've been trying to do more with the pension fund to invest money within New York State. And I want to leave you with this because you may, this may be of interest to you. Follow up with Tom if you have any interest. We think it's important for us to invest in New York, invest in New York wide to help grow jobs, to help with ec economic growth. We have two particular programs I want to mention to you. The in-state private equity investment program, uh, which has now invested in over 560 companies in New York State. We've gotten a good return on those investments. It is not a loan or a grant program. It's an equity investment program. So we take an equity stake in a startup business or a business that's expanding or moving out of state to New York. We've done some of those investments here in Chautauqua County. Southern Tier Brewery, that was one of our investment opportunities. So we found some good opportunities here. So anybody that's maybe looking for an equity partner or you know of to our local officials, if you know of a business that perhaps wants to move here from somewhere else, be in touch with us and, and we'll see if we could make uh, that investment opportunity work. The other investment program I want to mention that the pension fund uh, supports and finances is Pursuit Lending. It used to be called for many years the New York Business Development Corporation. That is a loan program where uh, Pursuit now it's called works with uh, SBA and provides capital for working, uh, working capital, equipment, purchase of real property. We've done some of those loans here in Chautauqua County. Tom could give you, give you information about uh, what else uh, may be available, if, if, again, if any of you have an interest. So one is a loan program, one is an equity program, but it's ways in which we recycle the pension fund dollars back into the state to help to be part of a growth opportunity. Bottom line, I just want to leave you with on pension fund, my role as trustee is to make sure the plan stays well-funded. It means I have to sometimes make some tough choices. To our local officials, you know, this last year we had to raise the contribution rate a bit. We don't like to do that. It puts more pressure on local budgets. But I don't want the plan uh, to fall into a poorly funded status. You look at states that have a lot of uh, budget and fiscal issues, it's often because their pension funds are for poorly funded. That's my obligation uh, to the members of the system. And there's a lot of discussion going on now about enhancing benefits, tier six, increasing the coal for retirees. All of it has a cost impact. So again, that's another place where I just have to be the one to say, what's it going to cost? What's the impact long term? Let's be mindful of all of that. I would be remiss if I didn't touch on higher education as such an important part of your community here, as it is across the state, as an as a, a important economic impact, uh, no matter how you measure it. And you're lucky to have some great institutions here, certainly with SUNY Fredonia and Jamestown Community College, Jamestown Business College. It's very important that, that our, our, our public universities, certainly where we have the first responsibility, have the resources to survive and to thrive. Now, Obviously, uh, it's, you've, you've been following, and, and again, I thank the President for being here, uh, Fredonia, following what we've heard in uh, SUNY Potsdam and Buffalo State College, uh, because of deficits, uh, I've had to 
uh, face some, some real tough choices on spending and cuts. Nobody likes to hear that. Um, it, it, part of it has to do with declining enrollment. And, and Fredonia, particularly, has had a significant declining en enrollment. And now we've, have to, we've had to balance all that out. Keep in mind, on the private side, uh, I can tell you, you know, we, I spent a lot of time in Albany. You know, just this past week or so, College of St. Rose, 100-year-old institution, announced it's closing. Uh, Casanova, uh, as you know, was guess, last year, two years ago, uh, closed. And uh, Madai, uh, up in Buffalo region. So talk about extreme pressure on, on the private side, where you actually have closures. So, you know, the good news in this state budget, there was more money put in for SUNY. The challenge, obviously, was that much of that money seems to have been directed more to university centers. So you see the other campuses that are struggling, while they got some more money, it wasn't enough to avert these kinds of, of, of decisions and, and pull back on certain programs. Here's what I think it means. I, I, I think, first of all, we have to be mindful that it is a big problem. I mean, the SUNY system-wide has had, had declining enrollment. For Donia, it's been steeper than the system-wide numbers. The demographics are changing. But I, I think because of the, it's been such an important investment, and we've done such a good job, especially on the public higher ed side, to not only provide access, but quality as well. I mean, in the beginning, you know, a lot of folks chose to go to, to a SUNY or CUNY downstate because of access, uh, opportunity, more affordable. But, but we have made such a great investment. We have such quality going on at the campuses. When I visited Fredonia, I saw such great things happening. Um, we don't want to lose out on that. So we're, we're actually working on a, a, an analysis. It's not done yet. We hope to put it out soon. That's really going to look at the impact on our state, particularly from an economic development point of view, of, of SUNY, of CUNY, of our private colleges as well. Because if we're in, at this moment of reckoning because of those changing demographics and enrollment changes, and COVID obviously made some of this worse, uh, we, we can't, though, retreat. Uh, on, on recognizing how important it is we keep these institutions going. So how we right-size them is going to be a challenge, and, and I think it is important that, that there be a larger discussion. And I want to really commend Dr. Collison for being very forthright. I know we had a meeting on campus the other day. I know the faculty is very concerned. The students are very concerned. So we need to be transparent, open, have dialogue, but we need to be mindful of it took us years to build this quality system. We cannot see it dismantled. We just have to figure out how to right-size what we're doing, and that's going to take a, a lot of serious thought. So um, there's so many other things I talk about, but I, I don't want to overstay my welcome at Sandra's birthday party. That would not be a nice thing to do. So let me wrap up with, a, with some very, very fast thoughts and one quick presentation. Um, I was going to talk a little bit, but I, I'm not going to just in the interest of time on financial literacy because, you know, with everything going with the economy, such an important issue. We, we, we've, we've done a report. I did an op-ed uh, the other day that uh, actually the Jamestown Post-Journal uh, published. I'm working on another one now with Betty Rose or a commission of education because we have to start young. We have to start in the schools. And the State Education Department is actually putting out some new initiatives to include a requirement for financial education in our schools. And I'm very excited talking with John Felton from Southern Chautauqua Financial uh, Federal Credit Union. He's in the schools. So give Southern Chautauqua FCU a round of applause for being in the schools on financial education. So we, we think that's something to focus on. And if you haven't, if you've got kids or grandkids, one of the programs we administer, 529 College Savings Program. 
a very successful program. Talking about higher ed, we know it costs money. That's a great way to save for uh, a loved one down the road. Related to that, I should mention the other 529 program my office administers, in addition to college savings, is the ABLE program. The ABLE program is a similar savings program. It's not quite set up the same way, but it is for people with disabilities. And it allows greater financial independence without compromising federal benefits. So again, talk to Tom, look at our website uh, for information on 529 College Savings or the ABLE program. So we're still doing a lot of audits, sometimes finding people stealing. We don't like that. More often than not, suggesting how government could be more efficient. Uh, we've done a lot on broadband access. been an issue out here. We need to do a greater investment on that. Cybersecurity, big issue in business, in government as well. Uh, we've been focusing on, we put a report on our rural counties across the state. We took a sample of 10 of the most rural counties. Chautauqua wasn't included because Jamestown made it a little less rural than some of the other counties we looked at. But we really want to heighten uh, the issues facing rural communities. You know, I, I love my downstate friends, but sometimes we talk a lot about New York City and not enough about our rural uh, communities. And uh, that report really talked about some of the unique challenges facing uh, our rural counties. Population decline, a more aging population, in some cases a, a poorer population, broadband, transportation access, healthcare access. Take a look at that report, and you may have some suggestions on other things we could look at. So I threw a lot at you, hopefully more positive than negative. And when I see the numbers here for Chautauqua, you've been through a tough decade or two in terms of population. You've been through a tough time with COVID, like every part of the state, but you're back in a better place, and you're starting to see the numbers go in a positive direction. So it really gets back to what I said at the very beginning, the importance of this chamber as a convener of all the important stakeholders, business and government and nonprofits, to strategize on how to have a better and more unified vision for how you move this county forward. Anything we can do in the controller's office to help, you have a suggestion, you have an idea, you have a report we should do, you have an audit we should do, you know, be in touch with us. You know, we really want to be a partner in any way that we can. We strive very hard to be objective. Um, my office, I'm very proud to say, is not a particularly partisan office. That's not been my personal style for a long time. And almost everybody works with me as civil servants. So I don't even know what party they're enrolled in. So when we do an auditor report, it's not really with an agenda, contrary to what some of the, the critics sometimes say. The last thing I want to leave you with, and if you remember nothing else of what I said, well, you can remember the nice things I said about George. But other than that, <laughs> what is the most fun part of being state controller? Returning people's lost money. Unclaimed funds. Who's gotten unclaimed funds here? Few people have. So what I want you to do when you can't sleep tonight at 2 in the morning, I want you, whatever your search engine is, go on your computer, put in New York State Controller, whatever your search engine is. We have accounts valued at like $18 billion of lost money. What is lost money? It's an old bank account. You moved. It was dormant. The money's turned over to the state. It's a health insurance check that never got cashed. It's a security, it's a, uh, a utility deposit uh, for security that, that when you moved, you never collected. Your, your great uncle Tom left you money in a life insurance policy and they couldn't find you. Usually it's because someone's moved and their, their, uh, their address or their contact information is, isn't updated. But there are various kinds of accounts and there's different dormancy periods where the financial institutions required under the law to turn the money over to the state 
and we hold it until you find us or we find you. And we made it very easy for you to search online, and if it's an easy match, you can get the, your money back in, in, in a couple of days. It's in your name, it's in your business name, it's in your nonprofit's name, it's in your church name. Uh, many of these accounts are the name of people who passed away. So I always tell folks, put in the name of deceased you know, parents or grandparents. We need more documentation to get that money. And I want to be clear, $18 billion is not sitting in a treasure chest in the controller's office. The legislature spends most of that money on a regular basis. But we keep, we keep more than enough under the law in reserve so that we return uh, the money that's requested. So we're returning now about $1.5 million a day to New Yorkers. And during the pandemic, when everybody was home, except with their computers, it really, you know, uh, it stepped up a great deal. But money is still coming in. You know, people say to me, Tom, you said a few years ago you have $15 billion. How'd you get to 18 Well, more accounts were declared dormant. In fact, the, the dormancy period was tightened under the law. And we're getting new categories, gift cards. If you have a, a gift card that's registered, right, with a, with a major retailer, well, when those gift cards get lost or, or for whatever reason don't get used, it gets turned over to us as well. So, especially for the business people, periodically check, maybe a couple times a year, see if there's anything owed to you. Same thing for government, same thing for nonprofits, same thing for you personally. So, as I said, if you remember nothing else, uh, check out our Unclaimed Funds website. So, we did a little bit of a search. So, I would like your wonderful county executive, PJ Wendell, to come forward because... <laughs> But I gotta be clear about this, and you're all my witnesses. Um, this check is for Jennifer Wendell, not for PJ. <laughs> it's forty dollars and fifteen cents, so it's not gonna change your lifestyle a great deal. But these folks are witnessing, so this forty dollars and fifteen cents is for Jennifer. It is not for you. But you're gonna be very popular tonight when you go home and you give her this and you give her this paperwork to fill out. And, and maybe she'll give you $20. Uh, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Thank you so much.